So hi, Sean. Welcome back to EAXFM. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Adam. It's great to see you. Do you still remember when it was the last time at the show? Uh, two years ago? Yeah, it is even, I think, 2018 in January. So it is okay, th so it's three years. Three? Three. Yeah. Wow, it doesn't seem like three. No, but it's crazy. This is episode number five. So I just double-checked that, but this is what, yeah. Sean's I was on five. That's pretty good. It's crazy. So it is um, January 31st, 2018. Yeah, you just see, the problem is that, like, Time just flies too fast, right? Actually, this whole last year, everyone knows it. The whole last year is like, it's still March, right? It's March again. It's never stopped being March from last year. Yeah. And uh, it is really, it's crazy. So my problem is with the pandemic, um, I underestimated the productivity on airplanes. You know, I said- Oh, oh how, yeah. how useful you were on airplanes? <laughs> yeah. But what I thought is, no, uh, with the traveling, there's lots of dead time. So I basically said the last time to everything, to the last year to everything, yes. And then uh, I got lots of projects, lots of conferences, and, uh, and, and, and it was crazy because uh, usually what you, what you are doing, you know, you can schedule the talks between conferences, but in online conferences, you could actually deliver a talk, you know, every day. And the problem was there was no dead time between. So it was really a dense time the last year. It was, it was just crazy for me. And I got also, uh, thankfully, uh, a lot of real, uh, real projects. And uh, and this was this was just crazy time. So this this year I'm going to be a little bit more careful. So I will say not always yes. So this is this well, is. It's al it's almost worse with the virtual conferences, right? Because yeah. um, <clears throat> there's no travel. So everyone yeah. thinks you can like you think that uh, well we have more time. Like you said, actually, it's pretty much we we had the same experience, the same experience. Yeah. You know, it's like go go go. And then the the bad thing is, you know, the the in person conference experience is personal. Yeah. So you give a talk, it's always different. You interact with the audience, you get yeah. the feedback from the audience. People have looks in their eyes like they don't understand what you're saying. You can read this and sort of maybe you, you go in more deeply. And online, it's like every experience is kind of, it's the same, like it's a blank wall. Yeah. It's, it's you know, there's been discussions of, is it ethical to submit the same recording to multiple conferences because it won't be different, Yeah. right? But, uh, but right now, um, so last hour, there was a conference or conference, a session, a German session. And there were about, I think, 100 attendees. And uh, what we did, they had the they camera on. And this, yeah, this, was, this was very good because uh, we had this even better interaction than at conference because uh, you, they asked they ask more questions. At conference, there is uh, no more distance between the speaker and on right. online, everyone is the same. So I did uh, right. the opposite in workshops. It works even better because there is no difference between me and the others. They just asking question that they get an answer from mm -hmm. somewhere. And at conference, you are always looking down to the, you know, to the to the audience. So we're thinking this is we're trying Twitch out. We're trying to use Twitch more. Yeah. And similar thing, right? This is the chat. So yeah. people can start asking questions. Yeah. yeah. And and anyone can ask. And I think maybe it'll loosen up people to ask more questions. Yeah. And interestingly, it also becomes less formal. So we're experiencing that that right. So we, you know, we have. Uh, opened up like we have these regular internal like just tech talks you know mm -hmm. from component leads in the Gravium project and so we put them on Twitch like it was just you know we're just sharing like what's going on mm -hmm. nothing secret uh, you know proprietary and uh, I think that's good because it engages people it's more we're people more relaxed because I'm kind of tired of these more formal uh, corporate-y you know presentations I'd much rather just chat and and it's more more information comes out like we're doing now but on the on the Twitch uh, kind of kind of approach. but you you are always you know 
this kind of speaker i never you never delivered a high level management talk right no no i mean more the uh the sort of like please present a uh, you know a, a webinar on this topic right? oh, okay. a corporate it's kind of like yeah. it's not scripted but you're still doing it yourself yeah but it's still kind of there's no audience you're just recording it okay uh or or you're broadcasting it and you the audience out there somewhere right not the what? same as one conference last year, uh, I said yes, and they they asked me for pre-recorded talk. This was the yeah. only time I did it. This was the worst mm -hmm. experience for me, because a live talk, you know, something can go wrong, and the attendees can help you, and and this is like a no live experience. But if you deliver a talk upfront, I tried, you know, to do something different because okay, I have more time to preparation, and I think I record pre-recorded a talk like five times or six times, and it was the the worst experience ever for me. And then I watch myself at conference and I say, never again. So if I will never deliver a pre-recorded talk again. And I think this is like cheating because yeah. uh, the attendees could ask me questions, but usually I can react during my talk to the question. Right. But they ask me question and we had to stop. And, and this is not even possible. So I don't get it and I don't like it, I have to say. And this, well, there's I'm really right. no difference to screencast, I would say. I learned a trick though for myself anyway, which was we, we did a, a broadcast to customers yeah. and you know, if you pre-record, you want to be perfect. Like you're saying, you, you sit there, yeah. you spend many yeah. hours, you fix it, you go, oh, I put myself on camera and then I put my, my picture in the presentation, right? So this is common enough, right? Yeah. So you have the presentation and I do it in one take. So I'm just talking. And so I can say something and go, no, let me rephrase that. Like you realize you okay. misspoke a little bit. And so it freed me up. So now I can, I'll just do it in one go. I don't feel like I have to be perfect. I don't feel like I have to edit it to not mistake because they can see your face. They can see you go, oh no, that's not quite right. Let me rephrase that. And uh, so it was, I felt way better. It was way more productive. Put your face on the, on the camera in those presentations and people just accept it as, you know, you're human. You're going to, you're going to speak like a real person rather than having these perfect packaged, you know, error-free deliveries. We did um, another pre-recorded talk. So there were actually two, but this one, I knew better. And this is um, uh, drive-in conf. It was in Sofia, I think. And the guy who did it, he joined Oracle recently at the Helidon team. Uh, oh, yeah. I forgot his name. And a nice guy, Java user group guy, and uh, he asked me, you know, can we pre-record the conference? Because this is a drive-in. So really drive-in. This was Corona oh, pandemic. <laughs> so the people came with their cars. They showed me the video. Yeah, That's yeah. crazy. This was, a, you know, this was crazy. That's good. That's good. And, um, and 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 he asked me to pre-record because he was afraid about, you know, there was a huge display and he was afraid about the connection and stuff like that. So, okay. Sure. And what we did, we did a pre-event. We invited uh, a couple of people and we pre-recorded a live event, you know, up front. Okay. And this yes. worked perfectly because we had an audience of 10 people and they asked me questions. And this was for me, I, don't, I didn't care whether there were 1,000 people or 10. And then we we submitted a talk to the conference and this was fun. This was a nice hack. Did you, did you speak at uh, Jax in, in Mainz this year? I forgot um, to they register. Did a, they did a half, they did a hybrid. They did a hybrid, half. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, they had people there. I know that uh, Wolfgang Weigen was there. Yeah. And uh, they had some people in the audience spread out. Yeah. And then others were online. So I guess it gives you the, both. I, it's both, right? It's yeah. Hybrid. So, so, I was was there, but the, uh, I forgot to register for this year, uh, Mainz. Yeah. So this was the first time in history of my history, which I didn't attend the Jacks. We met at the Jacks, I think, the first time, or the Java one, I guess. This, you were the Eclipse guy and um, Eclipse Link. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a long time ago. I don't know, right? It's like forever. Yeah. So, hey, uh, what happened with FN Project? So last time we had a lot of chat, you know, with uh, Serverless yeah, yeah. and FN Project, and uh, so, a, a little bit quiet. So I, I look at the GitHub, something happens, but it's not like, you know, it is not like yeah. it's taking off. So I haven't been on working on that since 
October 2019. I know the team has mostly spent their time on building the service side of it, right? So I don't yeah. think so. So they're still using the core. Like they're still, like the, the code that's in GitHub is still being picked up and they yeah. basically used for the service. I think most energy is around the service issues because it's easier, well, easy, you know, building this core serverless platform is one thing. Building it as a globally scalable, you know, uh, yeah. reliable platform is a totally different experience. It's like 90% yeah. of the work is actually the service side. The execution of that core engine is not the hard part in some strange way, right? And uh, well, I, I do know from when I was there, just as we services coming online, the, the, we have a thing called the platform bar uh, in Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, which is all the things you must do before you can be a service. Mm -hmm. And that's a big list. Like you must have tags you can search. So customers can tag a function, tag anything, and then mm -hmm. search it from anywhere else. Like all these are sort of service-y integrations and that just chews up like mm -hmm. months of time. So they did do that, but I know they're working on internal stuff. I don't, I don't have the inside story on what their plan is, but uh, it's a, it's a real service, right? So it's been gaining gaining okay. ground in terms of customer acceptance. So it's not dead, uh, that's for sure. In fact, um, it's actually a critical service because like the Gartner sort of cloud matrix, which everyone likes to go for, has serverless as one of the key components of that mm -hmm. platform. Mm -hmm. So every cloud provider has to have one. So they're certainly not like Oracle's lost interest. It's just that they're focusing on internal issues versus external issues. I yeah. I, I can imagine because uh, right now in my project um, I have a, a Java backend and I push it to the cloud, and the most time which consumes actually is consumed by you know certificate management and networks yes. and, and and network translation layers and 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 and, and that, this was like what the plumbing we did 20 years ago now it comes back yeah. a little bit more automated in the cloud so it is like actually crazy what do you have to do to 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 put something in production. Yep. And then for them, as part of a cloud ecosystem, you have all the other services. You even worse. For you, it's even worse because yeah. you are actually have to control the infrastructure, right? So I'm just saying, yeah, I would knew CIDR with the subnets, but you have to actually to do it. So you have to, you know, to control the routers and, and all the plumbing. Yeah, this is even worse. Right. Because when you're, yeah, when you play a function, there's virtual, net, virtual uh, network interfaces that are yeah. being allocated, attached to things. Oh, yeah, it's all automated, right? Mm -hmm. But no, it's, it's the, the engineering work of, you know, serverless, like you look at AWS, you look at Lambda, the, the, the key thing with Lambda is you can call it from anywhere. Mm -hmm. They've done it, like it's been around a long time, so it's fully integrated into everywhere you go in, yeah. in AWS. So that's part of the work is, okay, so what if something happens like uh, the notification service on OCI, uh, someone wants to, has responded to some event, well, they should call a function, right? Mm -hmm. So there's building that bridge between those services. There's uh, some data appears on a Kafka queue. Okay, we want to call a function to process it. So all those integration points. And really it's not point to point, there's, it's, it's better than that, but that's a lot of work, right? Yeah. So service integration becomes another huge piece of it, which again, you don't see in the open source repo because yeah. it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And um, so what I observed with, uh, with lambdas and functions that they are actually starting to be used properly. So uh, five years ago, as lambda started, it was just craziness because what I saw is that people try you know, to port or migrate the monolith to lambdas, <laughs> and, and this is just crazy. So uh, you know, instead of having a nice uh, Java classes, they had uh, millions of functions, and no one knew what actually happens. But now people starting to be more reasonable developers, and what I see is that the lambdas are used more like integration point, which makes absolute sense. Uh, more or less like, like responding like, to this response. Yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. Like, like message driven beans almost. You know, back then. Yeah. So something yeah. like uh, this makes absolute sense. So well, I'm Kafka, for it. Your know, queuing queues, right? Uh, yeah. And and functions are exactly what you say, right? Like just like yeah. data if data appears, please process. Yeah. But often, and I think you're right. It's it's often the glue code between all these other things you're trying to build. Yeah. It's like a little piece of code needs to run somewhere. We saw this with um, Oracle Functions, uh, not Functions, Oracle um, 
um, uh, Fusion applications. Mm -hmm. So you can use Visual Builder Cloud Service, for example, like right? so build a GUI, mm -hmm. and you need some logic somewhere. Like there's a place for logic. Like where do you run logic? In the past, they would have uh, spun up a WebLogic instance mm -hmm. and, and done that. Now mm -hmm. it's, you can use functions. So just some random uh, bit of prefetching, caching data, um, processing, even doing things like. Uh, there's some, I remember there's an address translation function, which you'd think would be standard, but it wasn't built in. So they had to call some logic. Mm -hmm. So functions are perfect. Just like run a piece of code. And piece of code. what's interesting is uh, the functions, is they are actually, they are consuming some, some kind of data. And there's usually a proprietary cloud API, which is byte array. So this actually an FN, uh, FN function project did the same. There was like a byte array. But what, what, starts, what, I start, what starts happening is you can actually have a JAXRS resource, which is indirectly mm -hmm. called by a function. So uh, what you could do, yes. actually, you can actually deploy a JAXRS, let's say, Jersey service or MicroProfile service, or Halidon or whatever, which is, or a Micronaut, which is actually a function. So it doesn't make any, uh, does any difference whether it runs as a function or as a container service. And this is interesting. Yes, and we had actually had support for that way back in, um, in FN, we had done some support for JAXRS support. And it was mm -hmm. it doesn't quite fit the model because you've got multiple entry points, right, in the you know, yeah. on your bean yeah. versus one. Uh, but Micronaut, if you look at the Micronaut work that uh, that team is doing, they're working hard to take that, you know, your function, or your piece of code, uh, Micronaut program, and ex and basically expose it via functions, via whatever. They're trying, they're going, they're definitely pushing in that direction. But yes, it's just exposing the functionality via different uh, yeah. entry point. Yeah. They want to make it easy. You quit the FN project properly or, or, or department, on, and, and now you are, what are you doing now? So, you're so I went, I, I left uh, I left the cloud, I got out of the cloud. So I'm oh. one of those people who, you know, I'm... <laughs> to the sun, from I, from cloud I, to the, to back to the sun, right? <laughs> basically, yeah. So I'm working in Oracle Labs, which used to be Sun Labs, it's true. Ah, uh, okay. In the history, right? Yeah. So uh, Sun Labs evolved into, into Oracle Labs. And I went over there and um, to work on the GraalVM project. Mm -hmm. So this is really a, a sort of more going back to more original interest, you know, more core Java, right, versus um, application uh, like services. Mm -hmm. So in my career, I've always been working on developer-facing services, right. So mm -hmm. Eclipse Link was is a big one, right. So yeah. obviously developer-facing. I worked on mobile cloud service, so I went to cloud. Like everyone at Oracle, we were sort of like people were pushed into the cloud to work on cloud, and then Java cloud service, application container cloud, which is like Heroku, right? Mm -hmm. Again, always these services and even functions are always for developers to deploy code. Mm -hmm. So GraalVM was kind of going down the stack to like the run, the core runtime, like just you know running your applications, mm -hmm. and uh, I just thought it was a really interesting uh, project, and it's it's. I didn't know a lot about GraalVM even at working there for before I joined. I mean, I knew before I joined, but um, for years at Oracle, I had probably been, hardly ever heard of it. And now I think the time is, is changing. I think that suddenly um, it's starting to catch on, you know, that there's this technology that it turns out that Java can be different, can solve new problems, um, can be faster. And um, what's, what's your role yet at the, at the uh, Oracle Labs? So I'm working specifically on GraalVM, so I'm the product manager, leading the product management team for GraalVM. Ah. Okay. So, so, so that's kind of inside outside. So there's a bit of this product side, and then there's open source, and I kind of straddle both sides. We have our own dedicated developer relations team, like uh, well, like uh, Shalinov, probably met no, and yeah. Alina, uh, Yurenko, and um, and I work with Thomas Vertinger, obviously. So that's on that's on the engineering side, and I'm kind of straddling over towards the dealing with that team, and then also dealing with marketing team on product. You know, uh, how do we get the product out? How do you support customers and so on? Mm -hmm. What's so, what I like about GraalVM is it is like uh, yeah, I had already chat with Thomas Wittinger about that. Um, yeah, yeah, 
uh, this was like you know. So you know everything you need to know. See, I can't I can't add anything. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I forgot a lot of stuff, right? But um, but um, what uh, what we I always know. There was a blog post. the the, the name of the uh, of the Graal VM. The origin name was the project Maxwell. Maxine. And Maxine, no Maxwell first, and it was renamed. Really, I don't know Maxwell. Yeah, yeah. And then to, uh, Thomas and Thomas uh, said, "Okay, this was a briefly Maxwell because James Gosling back then at Java One mentioned that, and I and I and I found the paper and I wrote a blog post. Okay. But the, and then I asked the Thomas and knew about that. It's like, yes, this was Maxwell and then Maxine, and now it's Gralvium. So it's a it's a great story. Kind, kind of, it's kind of. I think that there's a there's a there's a history there, but I don't know if the Maxine project evolved into Gravium. I think it's more of a Gravium came up in to, in some sense of the the inheritance of that that Maxine project. I don't. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Because, I wasn't here because they changed they changed the uh, the direction. What what Thomas said that they saw opportunity somewhere else, and because the yeah. origin idea was to rewrite everything in in Java, and then they focus right. more on on the integration place. But first. The interesting part is, uh, you know, this is a, a little bit spirit of sun still still there, so in the project, yeah. and uh, what's really fascinating is this is like, like multifaceted project. So if you, oh yeah, if you, it's if huge. you that's, yeah, that's part of the problem. Is explaining what is GraalVM? Oh, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, and the problem is in my project, if I say something with GraalVM, everyone says, okay, we don't need you know the native uh, compilation. But this is not all about. You can run GraalVM as in 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 the normal mode. Let's say how to call it in bytecode mode, yeah. and you can. Uh, uh, you are the product manager. How how the how do, you, do you explain it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how what is the proper name of of translation from bytecode to the machine code, or how to call it the the JIT. image? The JIT, JIT compiler. Oh well, from bytecode to machine code is just the, the compiler, right? So the, so yeah, but so it, this is the, this. This is the thing. So, so just back up. So it's, this is why it's this is this is not a bytecode. This is not a compiler. This is a transpiler because it transpiles, you know, a bytecode to image. Well, right? no, that's what happens inside. That's what happens inside uh, uh, the JVM all the time. So, so, so let's back up. So, this is what's interesting about GraalVM. So, what you what you have at the core is this compiler. You have yeah. this com optimizing compiler technology. Yeah. And yes, it's focused primarily uh, on bytecode, Java bytecode to machine code. Yeah. Right. So just like C2, the, the compiler that's built in yeah. or you know, the existing one, right? It, it takes your hot, hot code uh, and turns to machine code so that it runs faster. Yeah. That's what's going on right? yeah. for the platform you're on. So that core compiler uh, can run at runtime or at build time, mm -hmm. essentially. So, mm -hmm. there's nothing, so when we have the native image ahead of time compilation, um, Christian Wimmer, who, who founded that uh, project, he doesn't like to call it ahead of time compiler okay. uh, because it's a bit misleading. Uh, it's a bit more, it does a bit more than that. But Roughly the flow is native image compiler, native image utility uh, takes your bytecode, so jars, classes, whatever. It loads them up into the hotspot VM, so they're, they're there. And then we walk uh, from your main entry point through all the classes and finding all the yeah, yeah. code you need. And but then we, but then we, then we run that compiler. Then, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't wait till you call the code. We run, we basically run the compiler, generate native machine code. We we dump that out and package it into an executable along with a bit of a snap heat snapshot because in Java. One of the issues of Java is you may have static initializers that do things at, at load time. Mm -hmm. So, and that's a bit of a challenge for us because if you do something in a static initializer that does something like opens a socket, which is crazy, right? Uh, you can't you can't just dump that to disk. It doesn't serialize. Yeah. Uh, but that's so yeah. So you end up with this. It's the same exact compiler that's producing the uh, the runtime, the, the executable native ahead of time, you know, compiled binary, but it's just run at a different time. So it is one compiler. Yes. What I mean by that is. This is exactly confusing. 
yes, this is confusing. because you cannot, you know, tell in projects that we are compiling once to bytecode and we are also compiling, you know, to machine code. So th there should be different names and how I call sure. it usually transpiler, like in, in JavaScript. If you have a JavaScript code, even if it's not correct, and you transpile, uh, sorry, TypeScript to JavaScript, the, the process is called transpiration. Trans but you're translating from one language to another language, right? Yeah. On um, his, yeah, I know. But here, here is doing it's doing real compiler work on the back end yeah. because in the, the Java, I said the Java compiler doesn't do all the things that compilers do. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do all this inlining analysis. It doesn't do loop unrolling. It doesn't do that stuff. It just translates your program into this other format. So it's truly transpiling. We need a marketing name. It. This is what I mean. You know, I, this, this is my life. Okay, this yeah. is like this, trying this to is, explain. Yeah, because um, <laughs> because otherwise, uh, I, I already you know talking about uh, the the how to call, how it JVM mode uh, or uh, sometimes I even say you know we are running in Open JDK mode that they know this is this JDK because people just, I just say JIT. I just said the JIT mode like you're running in just in time. Yeah, you try to right? explain a, a, a project lead or a manager that we have a JIT mode. I mean. I mean, this for developer, every, every developer gets that. But uh, in project, they, they think, you know, this GraalVM always have to, it just transpiles uh, or compiles from Java to bytecode and from bytecode to machine code. So this is the main thing. Yes. And but it's the third thing, right? So the, 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 the multi-language support. This is the also, interesting right? part, yeah. Which, well, a lot of people get really fixated on that. They think GraalVM is that, but that's the thing, right? So GraalVM is just-in-time compiler for accelerating Java performance. Yeah. Right? Plain old Java, just Java the native image utility to generate executables. And then the Truffle framework for, for building uh, language implementations that we can, again, just-in-time compile the native machine code on the JVM. Yeah, so then, this is where it's it then, really- There are four, four things, actually, because Truffle is the framework, but uh, they are already ready-to-use implementations. For instance, I use right now in my project the uh, JavaScript, uh, ready-to-use oh, yeah. JavaScript. You can use Python, yeah. R, and yes. even interesting part, the really crazy stuff is LLVM. This, yep. this 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 becomes to be interesting, and interesting. WebAssembly. Yes, WebAssembly is new. Uh, we've seen papers from people doing COBOL mm -hmm. uh, and uh, PHP. Yeah, Trouble. but WebAssembly. I don't know whether you are aware. This is also where the serverless alumni is going with WebAssembly. This, it, this can be a huge. Pressure there. Yeah, there's pressure. There's definitely uh, an opportunity there. The reason we have it, WebAssembly is we need it for JavaScript. So the JavaScript uh, oh. is going to have these, right? So it makes sense for JavaScript. We have a JavaScript runtime. They're going to have these WebAssembly pieces. Mm -hmm. uh, I think part of the specification will will include uh, WebAssembly interfaces. Okay. On the... I'm not the expert on the WebAssembly for sure, but yeah, it's a growing thing, right? It's it's another high-level format that runs on a, on a virtual machine almost not really really very because uh, there is a project already in where you can run web, web assembly on kubernetes straight oh really yeah oh, oh as, as the runtime uh as, as the, a, like, how to call it as, uh, uh, yeah kubernetes is the runtime and web assembly is the the thing which is the right, replacing oci using the container interface to replace like say uh run run c with web assembly instead. yes and WebAssembly runs on the edges, like uh, you know, uh, not CloudFront, but similar. Uh, there is Cloudflare. Uh, uh, Cloudflare, exactly. There's yeah. the workers, so you can run web, a WebAssembly yeah. here. Yeah. And I think for Java, this could be opportunity if there would be possible to now transpile or compile Java code to WebAssembly. You know, this translation, this could be interesting. I, I don't know. That, I don't think we're working on that. Nine. <laughs> You are the product manager, you know. You have promote. You have to promote Thomas. Say, hey, Thomas, look at that, and he will just implement this the oh, next time, you know. But you, but you already saw that we have so many things going on at the same yeah, time, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and another one. Yeah. So we're working on all kinds of things, right? So there's 
uh, yeah, the native the native image still continues to evolve, right? It's not done because it's you know mm -hmm. people are, have issues with it. It's it's not perfect. We're working with like the Spring team, right? So Spring Native to get Spring to work. We work closely with Micronaut because Micronaut just does work, which is great about Micronaut, right? It just because they avoid all the the things that are problematic for for native image. Because if you're compiling a language, if you had the whole thing in front of you and it's all like this is the code, just compile it. With Micronaut, we get that. Yeah, uh, but. We had a, a deep conversation with Graham Rocher about uh, Micronaut, how it happened. Mm -hmm. a, a nice guy. And uh, what uh, Micronaut is interesting because um, I ignored Micronaut for a long time. Uh, the, the funny story is I delivered a talk about microservices and I think uh, something with Jakarta or Java or MicroProfile. Mm -hmm. And the talk was after Graham's talk, Micronaut, and I think even introduction of Micronaut at the DevOps conference and there are lots of interests and people ask me you know what's my opinion about micronode later and uh, i look at micronode what i really didn't like at all was the proprietary api and i had a chat with uh with graham about that and he said hey we support actually JaxOS already and uh, cdi injections also supported at inject and this happened the last one and a half years and what i did i um at a conference recently I uh, I played with uh, Micronaut and Helidon. So um, what, what I did, uh, I created the um, the uh, Micronaut data integration with Helidon live and explained what happens. And uh, what uh, what I really like about Micronaut is the idea with uh, annotation processors. So yes, um, very powerful. not powerful. This is actually this is the crazy thing, you know. Uh, reflection was used to be dynamic. And uh, the annotation processing is the opposite of dynamics, actually very static. But if, if it's actually the exact opposite of the first pattern and you achieve the same at build time. So what uh, what what Graham does is crazy. He is able to know with the type system, look up to database and see whether, you know, the, uh, this is like exactly what reflection does at runtime, Micronode can do at build time. And so this is the same as Java. This is like Java. It's the same yeah. thing. Is you can defer to to runtime, yeah, or you can you can compile ahead of time, right? So yeah. and there's trade-offs. Yeah, there are trade-offs, but it's the same kind of pattern. Yeah, yeah. Do it you may... want to amortize the cost of your optimization to runtime, or do you want to pay up front? Yeah, right. It's crazy, right? But you think about this. This is, I mean, this is crazy and beautiful at the same time. So and uh, <laughs> and I asked Graham, you know, are you working in your leisure on Micronos? Like, no, Oracle is officially contributing code to Micronos. I didn't knew that. It's like, really? Yeah, yeah. So he. He joined uh, uh, Oracle. Um, but uh, what, I thought, what I thought, what I thought is, what I thought is that he uh, he joined Oracle and now he's forced to you know to work on Helidon. But this is not true. Uh, he he works on a different different. This yeah. is what I what I had chat with. No no no. It's like I can just commit code to Micronaut and we we share some code with Helidon. And uh, this yeah. was new to me. I thought you know his job will be you know to support Helidon. This is this is not true. This even two departments, right? The Helidon yeah, they're not. They're not in the same. We're on the same group. So the Helidon team are not in the Oracle Labs. So, so um, Graham's working for Oracle Labs. He's, uh, he's a peer of mine. So we're working, um, yeah, together on things. And some other. There's some good, uh, good synergy though. Because yes, the uh, Micronaut data is really interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a JPA background. Yeah. So um, yeah. ah, I've you're been, the Eclipse guy. You know exactly. Yeah. Right. So I'm I'm picking up uh, Micronaut data and. Uh, I wasn't familiar. The problem is Micronauts evolved from a, a different uh, background. It came from like Gorm, I guess the the, the yeah, exactly. OR, exactly. and some some Spring data. And it never was never, never was never Spring guy, right? Really um, <clears throat> dabbled, but never really embraced Spring. It was more Java EE sort of. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I got to writing some Micronaut data, and I was I was struggling with like, okay, how do I do like what these finder methods, right? You yeah. have, it's, it's magic, yeah. right? It's like find 
entity. And then, then they would say things like, well, relationships. Like, what do you do with relationships? You know, like I ended up figuring out how to do a three-way, three-table join, you know, with nullable fields and all this stuff. You have to figure it out because it's not the same pattern. But, you know, once you, once you master it, it's very efficient because yeah. I can write the finder. It writes the query for me. Uh, just code, It's code by convention mm -hmm. right? or code, code generation by convention in some sense. So you know Eclipse Link very well, and you know now Micronode Data well. I don't know it yet. I don't. I'm I'm starting. I'm learning. I'm learning. Do you see some you know synergies? How to synergies is the right term? Because what you could do actually, you could uh, you could get the metadata from from Micronode, and do some crazy internal things with Eclipse Link. You know by skipping the JPA and just going to internals from Eclipse Link. So yeah, but see, th th there's a difference though. The problem is that um, you know in in uh, Micronaut data, or Micronaut specifically, he's not using reflection in there, right? Yeah. Or, or the project doesn't use reflection. So it looks like we use reflection all over the place. Like yes. typically we would, you know, intentionally so. We, we didn't want, for example, to call a setter when yeah. we built an object from database data. We don't want some business logic firing or something happening. So we would intentionally, we were infrastructure. So the object gets built and it exists before anyone could do anything with it. That way we didn't do anything, no side effect. Yeah, but this could be the synergy because if you get the metadata from, from uh, Micronaut, you could on the fly create the entities or whatever, right? Because there's no there's no metadata. Well, there is. You you can go digging through. Okay, yeah, you could go digging through the uh, the object uh, helper objects that yeah. is behind the scenes there yeah. in, in Micronaut. Yeah, it's true. But there's yes, it's it's still counter. At some point, you need metadata. You need a description of this stuff, right? Yeah. His uh, the, the Micronaut work. I shouldn't say his because there's actually a lot, yeah. a lot of people involved. But the, the Micronaut data work um, is based on this more convention. Based okay. coding, okay. right? Whereas Eclipse Link and, and JPA is is there's very few conventions. There's some defaults, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it works well. I think the the main issue is that uh, if you look at the instantiation of objects, it's just call a constructor and pass in the arguments, right? Yeah. And that's pretty much all that you can do. Mm -hmm. um, there's no there's no object tracking, mm -hmm. right? Because there's no injection of uh, of uh, bytecode generated uh, proxies to hold values. There's no dirty checking. Nothing. Right, it's up to you. So it's, it's for me, it's kind of back to the future again because this was a pattern you saw in in the early two thousands. You you had other data mappers like Ibatis. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, mm -hmm. it's similar, and uh, it was like read object and then write it yourself. Yeah, and you know I, I'm biased, right? I, I it, it the microservices world changes that maybe right. So when you were when you were dealing with large EE applications, dealing with large data data models, they were very complicated with difficult constraint satisfaction or, or RI uh, constraints, letting Eclipse Link figure it out for you, order the SQL and make it all work was really great, right? Anything that over two tables, you know, three tables, you're, you're needing help. In the, micro, in the Micronaut sort of micro, microservice world where you're in theory dealing with small table sets, right? It's more like data. Now you're saying, I don't have a large data model. At least you pretend it. And I haven't quite figured this out. This is everyone going from monolith to microservice, right? Large complicated data model. Um, and you're hopefully dealing with maybe one or two tables for that entity you're dealing with, right? Then in theory, life gets easier. You still have to be aware of the referential integrity rules and not break them. It's in your face. Uh, but in f hopefully the scope is smaller. The scope of the problem is manageable. I, I don't believe so. And the reason is um, right now I'm actually delivering an app and the um, mm -hmm. my job is just to deliver the front end with web components is a mobile app. And yeah. the back end, I just used uh, MicroProfile by choice because it's what I know. And if you, I will show you the app, it looks trivial. There's probably five views with some state management. But at the back end, I already have, I think, 10 JSON objects. But there's no persistence right now. Everything in the static just is mock-up. But yeah. if I would map it to database, there will be 10 tables with one-to-n, one-to-one 
So yeah, I yeah. I never saw actually a project with a small microservice with you know two tables. So this is like the the the, the wishful thinking. The, 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 yes, this is the this is the micro the microservice world of it's one service with one table and they're never connected and it, it's not really. I mean, I haven't seen that yet. Right? Exactly. Um. <laughs> I, I can tell you in the real world if it happens, this is trivial. And uh, what what happened in this project? So uh, there was another project. And they asked me about microservice. But this was a small project, yeah. and if you deliver such small microservices in a small projects it just becomes too expensive we did the math running this on in the cloud this was uh this was not oracle cloud but it make a huge difference so we were you no know, if you would put everything to a monolith we would pay something like you know 100 euros or dollars a month with the microservices there were 500 because uh there, there is an overhead and uh There's, there is overhead and, yeah. and you, this is where yeah, so this you, is where native image helps. Actually, this is this is the, the overhead is way yeah. lower. But uh, what, what what I think the future is, what will happen? This is my prediction for the next three years. The uh, the microservices become coarser, bigger, and with GraalVM, for instance, it doesn't matter because they will start still in twenty milliseconds. You can save money. Yeah. And build, you know, reasonable, not microservice, call it some somehow service, uh, self-contained service or whatever, architecture. And this is what I do for years. I actually ignored the microservice trend completely or are, are, I uh, misused the hype to deliver reasonable architectures. So I said, okay, uh, if you if you can segregate the pieces from the business perspective, we will do it because it makes sense. So, there were, but we we never try, you know, to to to, to deploy five hundred small microservices because it doesn't make any sense. I, if you're Netflix, you know this is fine, right? They know what they're doing. They 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 their their needs fit that model quite well. I know what you're saying though, um, you're you're doing this practical, right? This is everything though, isn't it? Always the case, right? New technology says like you know it's extreme. Sort of in sense of like you know idealistic, yeah. and then everyone sort of applies in a, in a practical exactly. manner. They learn they learn the balance between the ideal and then the practical. Yeah, yeah. Same same with everything. But Netflix, as, uh, Netflix is not a very good example because you think about this, they Maybe they not. have more or less one product. They have huge amount of of resources, you know. And if you optimize just for this product, you have more time and you do it for years. I think there's for, the, the optimizing they started with Groovy at the beginning, if you remember, with uh, with Tomcats. Really? And, yeah, 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 and uh, and and if you ca you have to search uh, a presentation from I think Adrian Cockroft, right, was the architect of, uh, of I think so at the beginning, yeah, he was and there. and and at the beginning of Netflix there was DVD business and the online business, yes. and the DVD business five years ago was still huge. There were several millions customers, and there is on on the slides I have to find the slides. I would put it to the show notes. There is something like you know for the view millions customers we don't care about you know the scalability we just deliver a monolith and for the you know for the uh for the online service this makes sense to because there are no there 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 are worldwide millions of clients not just in in one country this makes sense and uh the, the funny story is most of my projects or my companies i know i work with in this project, we don't have you no know, millions of clients. So we have probably, you know, this is like an enterprise app, then we have probably 500 clients, you know? And this is why yeah. developers go to conferences, look at Netflix, they try to apply, you know, the, the same ideas in, in local projects and they, they are not applicable. This is complete over-engineering. So like you would try you not know, to buy Formula One car and go to shopping, you know, to grocery. This doesn't make any sense for me, right? <laughs> Again, it's about being practical, right? So yeah. there is no, there is no silver bullet. This is actually, this is a, 
topic that comes up with this for me, um, it, you know, the, the different modes of GraalVM you mentioned, right? Yeah. There's, there is no right answer. There's no like oh. one thing is good. There's like, you have to figure out what your problem is, find the solution for that problem and find, you know, it, yeah. but people, people would like, a, a, you know, one answer for everything. There is no one answer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, in most projects, we're running GraalVM in JVM mode. Mm -hmm. And what it where it really makes sense is of course serverless, because if you are running functions, the startup time is crucial, or you have to keep the the function warm. So it yeah. also happens. And, yeah, that's right. You still, and there's overhead for it, no matter what. Like even if the and this is the problem with serverless. Even if the program starts in like milliseconds, yeah. the service has overhead. Yeah, right? the server the service overhead can kill you. So we we're there's lots of conversation about oh scaling out Kubernetes pods and yeah. you know we should have you know native image really helps. I'm like not really because the overhead of Kubernetes is so much heavier than the start time of the application that it's lost in the noise. Right, it's, it's not a big contributor. So yeah, on serverless on a good serverless platform, it's it's important. You know. What's For your sure. opinion on Kubernetes? So my impression is, is this, it becomes a little bit less popular among companies, and 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 what they try and what they try to do is to use a different proprietary orchestrator. What I see, for instance, like Fargate or similar, or or, or Azure Container Instances, yeah. or even pure lambdas or, or Oracle functions. Does Oracle have a similar service to Fargate? Like you can run containers. There's, with... they don't have a service right now. They don't have that service available. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the container as a service type of approach. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, there's the success of uh, of like uh, Google Cloud Run, for example, right? I think yeah. that's pretty successful. It was basically that. But again, it's a cycle, it's cyclical, right? So again, it's almost it's almost Heroku, but not quite Heroku. Yeah, Genau. Like exactly. Like... Uh, Genau is uh, German. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, but they, it's like we, we go in waves. I saw this with. Um, so I was working on. So application container cloud, which is Heroku-like service. So it's like you just upload your app, right? Like a jar. Yeah. We take it, we build a container. We have to use Docker behind the scenes, build a container and deploy it and open up the ports and expose it on a port, like Cloud Run kind of thing. And um, and then that kind of fell out of favor when everyone goes, well, we just all know Docker. Like, why are you taking my code and just packaging it? I want to control the Docker container. Or, you know, or, or if you look at um, uh, Cloud Foundry, right? They have all these build packs that take your, your jar again and, and do all the work behind the scenes. And you can control it, but people, tend to just use the service. So there's a shift from just take my app to I want to control the world with dark containers. And now there's a shift back to I want to kind of just de deploy my app. There's a, there's, a, there's a definite pendulum swing between complexity and, and efficiency or productivity and, and, and uh, control. You know, you give a bit of control to get some productivity. And, and I see that every few years it swings back and forth. Well, I always wondered myself, the war was the perfect format, you know? Because the war was specified, and if the, you, you don't you don't have to go crazy, it could be a subset of Java E. It doesn't have to know you can CDI or whatever. And if you just push it to the cloud, because this deployment was already specified, so there would be like serverless server in the cloud. Yeah. So we did this. We actually built this in application container cloud. Uh -huh. We had the ability to deploy a war, and it ran on web logic actually behind the scenes in containers, and and basically yeah. it's like you say, we had this. Um, the, pro the only problem is that, that, that you're missing there is um, all the, the service configuration, the service you needed, right? So you need to consume database, and you're going to talk to some JMS queue. So all that server-side stuff needs to be some to de declared somewhere. So the yeah. war has not got everything in it. You need to have now this, uh, what's what Cloud Foundry had in their um, you know, uh, service broker. They had the service broker to be able to do, sort of declare, I need an instance of Oracle database or MySQL, and it would go allocate you one or find you one and, and wire you together. So this deployment descriptor is also needed. Yeah, but if you have nothing that's in the cloud, so you have a war and you push it to the cloud yeah. Uh, yeah. or jar, 
then what usually happens you have to you know to start your jdbc driver somehow and talk you know to rds or whatever database you have or oracle database so then there's no diff i, I would be happy you know to push but you have to have one yeah but you have to have a database and you have to know where it is or yeah. at least you have to declare that you, you have to declare that you need an instance that meets these criteria or such and such it goes on like this right yeah uh yeah but that's why heroku was popular heroku was yeah here's a jar essentially run it yeah you know as long as that jar booted up something that listened on port 80 or whatever port they told you to listen on, it would work. Yeah. And it's, they're still in good, they have good business. Yeah, right? they, they were bought by Salesforce, I think. Yeah, they were bought by Salesforce. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they're focused mostly on people doing cut, I mean, I don't know their business, I don't know them, but yeah. it seems they've evolved into um, people who are building apps around Salesforce. So you need some code, again, back to functions, right? You need a little place to stick some code that goes in front of that big data model yeah. behind the scenes. So yeah. what are, now the next features we can expect with GraalVM. So now back to GraalVM. You said you no know clouds, uh, so forget about clouds now towards sun. So you're seeing, um, yeah. So in GraalVM, there's some features that are that are uh, being worked on now uh, that you will see in the next release. So things like, uh, we're talking about multi-tier comp compilation for for, mm -hmm. uh, for Truffle languages. So one of the tricks with Truffle is uh, there's a warm-up cost. It's kind of the Java warm-up cost. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're working on ways to provide a faster start. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of we pay this price of being on the JVM and being written in Java um, that we're trying to resolve. So that's actually showing some good results. Okay. Um, that's going on. So boot faster. So if you're starting your Ruby pro program or your, your JavaScript, it will boot faster, get mm -hmm. going faster. Um, what else are we working on? I just saw a list today. Uh, we were talking about the uh, the features in 21. Um, you are the list. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, but I, I had the list. Well, I have to ask my engineers. So okay, we have okay. a lot of smart. We have a lot of smart engineers who are cranking out work, okay. right? So it's like, okay, what are we working on? Um, on native image, we're we continue to work on on compatibility. So you can see, keep seeing us adding features. So one feature that's added recently, uh, kind of came initially from a, a PR from Alibaba. Okay. Uh, for for Java serialization. Okay. So you can imagine, uh, if you got ahead of time compiled like just machine code, mm -hmm. uh, how do you serialize and deserialize Java objects, mm -hmm. right? Like we didn't have support for this. Okay. So we had support for that. So slowly but surely native image is adding support. Like we had method handles, so reflection, handling reflection gets gets better. Um, and performance is the other thing. Uh, the big thing though for us recently was was uh, uh, Espresso, right? So the Java on Truffle mm -hmm. uh, announcement. So that was, we've written a Java implementation in Java that runs on our Java uh, substrate. So um, you basically have a full Java stack. This was and Maxwell, what's... the idea of Maxwell. Full this circle. was, this is, this is this full circle, right? So we, with, uh, if you go on to, uh, if you look at our our, our, uh, our Medium blog, there's a blog in there where, where Oleg walks through this sort of um, example of running everything together. Like you can run, you can actually take a, a Java application, compile it ahead of time, and then you can extend it with dynamic Java features, which is really truffle running at it, like layered on top of this, in other words, Hard or frozen ahead of time compiled Java code, and then on top of that you can have this dynamic code through mm -hmm. through the Truffle or through Espresso. So the example he had was um, uh, J shell. So you compile J shell ahead of time, mm -hmm. but then when you run your code, it runs on this uh, okay. on, on Espresso. Um, and it's interesting because you watch the J shell boot; it's a lot faster, right? Because J shell is now compiled ahead of time. Um, a nice example would be Maven. Well, Maven Maven's very Dynamic, right? Dynamic. All plugins. Yeah, but uh, you know, core set of plugins could be a core, and the other plugins could be extendable. That's actually what uh, Thomas has suggested that uh, a similar kind of thing of this, hard, this solid core with extensions is Java Except, C. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. So you compile Java C, and then you have annotation processors, which are plugins. Yeah. 
right? Very so similar. similar idea. Yeah. yeah, I'm so just waiting so for. Yeah, it's OSGI also. I mean, I, I did a, you know being on Eclipse and stuff. I did some OSGI. That's what came to mind to me was, you know, the core platform. I don't know if there's advantage, but right now Espresso performance is not where we want it to be. Right? We we released it to say, you know, it's here. It exists. Um, this is really kind of mind bending when you start when you look at espresso it's maybe hard to understand because uh it's java on java written in java you know with it, anyway it's, it goes round and round um but uh we wanted to get it out and now we're working more on the performance side right so okay. basically improving what was the vision or the motivation to create espresso so do you know the vision statement <clears throat> yeah so if you look at like i said there's two worlds right mm -hmm. the sort of two worlds we have the the current java or the current Graal compiler compiles java bytecodes Mm -hmm. right, so we take Java by code to compile. And then we had Truffle, mm -hmm. which was offering a platform for implementing implementing languages. Mm -hmm. And in that model, you end up with a, a you end up with a Java uh, AST of that program instantiated, and then we could compile that. Mm -hmm. So those languages that were in Truffle were dissimilar than Java. They had their 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 own little ecosystem, the way they worked, they passed data back and forth between each other using the Truffle APIs. And Java was kind of odd. Um, so now with with Espresso, we now have a single language implementation platform. Data can pass back and forth between languages with no cost. Uh, all the optimizations we're putting into the Truffle platform affect or benefit all the all the languages. Mm -hmm. So what's nice for us is when we tune to Ruby, we get you know the benefits in Python. Right, this kind of stuff goes on. This multi-tiered compilation effort is is a result of uh, you know Ruby start time efforts, which everyone benefits from. So what Espresso is is like adapter layer between between Truffle and Java. It's an implementation of Java using the Truffle language implementation framework. E oh, that makes sense. We implemented support for executing Java. So w the weird part about Truffle is if you Truffle looks like an interpreter, mm -hmm. so it looks like <clears throat> you're writing an interpreter um, that we eventually turn into a compiler. If okay. I that. If, if that's okay. very that's very vaguely not correct, but okay. uh, the result is you write you as a programmer you're writing an interpreter, but the end result is we can take the result of that and we can actually compile it like other Java programs down to native machine code. Okay. And take advantage of all the optimizations you get from the compiler. So it means you, you there were already how to call it pl plugs or interpreters for Python R and JavaScript. Yes. And, and LLVM. Uh, yep. Yeah, and and, yeah, and now you did it for Java, so there's not adapter. This exactly. is an, an own implementation, so you can interpret. So Java. that's. Mm -hmm. So you yeah, replaced that's... what you replaced. You replaced part of Java hotspot. C. Basically, the hotspot uh, bytecode execution. So the hotspot would be executing the bytecodes. We are now executing. The, it's so, weirdly we are executing the bytecodes, right? In 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 Truffle, those bytecodes are the are the, the program. Yeah, this this is always, okay. So this is still bytecode level. So. Just, just so the input from Java, yeah. So Java C compiles a bytecode. The bytecode jar or whatever gets run. Um, so the 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 program is a bunch of bytecodes, right? It's a bytecode yeah. interpreter, just okay. like Wasm. Wasm is a bytecode interpreter. LLVM is a bytecode interpreter. Uh, the trick with Truffle, the, the the innovation of Truffle is the ability to to make it go fast, right? To turn that interpreter into the compiler. Uh, if you think about it, if you just take a simple program and build an AST, so you end up with a big tree of of objects. Imagine they, they are Java objects. Um, they are just a Java program now. So we turned your Ruby and your R into essentially a Java program, which we get the benefits of all the Java tech we have. For my understanding, just um, my understanding is if you run JavaScript via Truffle on GraalVM, what happens yes. behind the scenes, uh, the interpreter turns this in one point of time into kind of bytecode. So, no, we don't go to bytecode. We go, we go. We end up with this abstract syntax tree yeah. that represents your program. So we end up with a tree that has you know plus minus and yeah, then your yeah, numbers and yeah. just a tree. 
and then we execute that tree. So the tree has execution nodes, right? Like, you know, a loop node, whatever nodes. We execute that, but since it's just Java, of course it gets compiled on the machine code Yeah, by us. Yeah, so, okay, you skipped the bytecode. So what happens now is you 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 are able- Skip the bytecode. Yeah, so you can, you can read the bytecode and create from the bytecode the tree. This is what happens. So right in, in JavaScript case, it's JavaScript source becomes yeah, the but tree. Java Java case, this is bytecode. Bytecode becomes get a tree, and in Python case, Correct. the Python becomes a tree. Yeah, and in uh, LVM, the bytecode. And this now makes sense because now for you, you had an interpreter which read JavaScript code and turned it into the, of course, interpreted into these into the tree. And in Java case, the bytecode was interpreted or it's read. And, right. Yeah. This is like right. yes. Yeah. But now what's interesting is we now have a common runtime platform for all these languages, right? All, all the services we have in there. We have interesting things like um, the ability to constrain resources. So let's say you're in a Java program and you want to run some JavaScript. Mm -hmm. And this is actually the case, uh, uh, NetSuite does this. NetSuite mm -hmm. has, uh, they use JavaScript for like user scripting, mm -hmm. you know? So the code the user uploads is untrusted code, yeah. right? Like you got to imagine it's, it's not trusted. So, um, what we added in the 20.3 release was the ability to, and that's this, these constraints are actually in the enterprise edition, is constrain the resources that are permitted to that chunk of JavaScript we're going to run. So I can control the time it's allowed to run. So if it tries to do an infinite loop, it's going to get killed. Mm -hmm. uh, I can constrain the memory it's allowed to use so I can not let it you know, kill the machine. Uh, I can control the APIs it's allowed to use. So I can really run this in a, in a managed world, right? Um, because we now own the runtime. We are now the, the platform. Uh, for us to do this, so we can do this with Java. Right? So think about it. I can run, we can do crazy things. We can run Java 11 in Java 8. <laughs> we can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, yeah, that's kind of mind-bending too, right? Because it's just a Java program. Uh, as long as we have access to the SDK libraries and so on, we can do this. So um, it, it's, I'm having trouble even putting my head around all the possibilities, right? Because it's just... What reminds uh, me immediately, but what, you, what you did is, it is um, almost like Docker container. Actually, my, my boss uh, talks like this um, in terms of if we can improve the security guarantees, yeah. you know, we need to have really good strong guarantees, we can let people run Java programs. Uh, yeah. Imagine an app server, yeah. as it were, yeah. that runs someone's Java program, but it runs in a secure manner. Right? Yeah. Yes, we can start offering security guarantees on some chunks of Java code. Maybe it's a library you don't really trust. Yeah. You want to say, you know, we run it and we have it compute something, but make sure it doesn't do anything bad. It's like a security manager on steroids. Yeah, it's on steroids. Yeah. 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 Um, exactly. Uh, and there was a project from Google where they had Gvisor, right? This is the Gvisor. Gvisor. This is what you, what if you're talking about. Yeah. It's different. Yeah, it's I different. know. But it's a similar, similar thing. They, they hook into the system APIs and then and they can say, is it allowed or not, right? But this is a similar right. idea. So it's interesting because Gvisor evolved. So I was talking to, um, um, Ludo um, Champenois from, he used to be at Oracle, he was at Google, and now he worked on App Engine. And uh, because he was the Glassfish guy, right? He was a Glassfish guy, yeah. So he was he was uh, at um, JFocus 2018 now. Everything's like a year older than I think it is. But anyway, it wasn't last year, is it? Year Very briefly, before I forget. So there was a, a no talk about Glassfish monitoring. And Ludovic was a Java one. And I said yeah. it would be really nice, you know, to have you know some I, some monitoring stuff. And and we had a brief chat. And he was on vacations. And after the vacations, he said, "Done, 
like how done oh, I just I played a little bit with annotations and now it works like how and it showed me this and it works this was Ludovic because since then I've, if I hear Ludovic it's always you know yeah it's, it's, only, it's only one it's only yeah one. yeah uh, shout out to Ludo okay yeah. so he uh but he gave a talk at uh at JFocus and he explained the origin of GVisor mm -hmm. and what why they had to do it so they were using yeah Java security manager APIs to uh run jobs on Java 7 I think it was mm -hmm. or was it Java 6 I think it was 6 um and every new version of Java, even point releases of Java, CPUs would come out and it would break their security configuration so that mm -hmm. the code could escape, right? So they're constantly working on trying to secure the program within the Java runtime. Mm -hmm. And then they basically gave up. So they said, okay, we're going to step back and we're going to secure the environment around the JVM. We're going to basically, uh, you know, system calls and whatever with GVisor. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why he said there was a big delay between their support from six to seven. I think it was the numbers or seven uh, because they were busy building this infrastructure to yeah, contain the JVM, mm -hmm. not let anything get out. Mm -hmm. So now we've kind of gone the other way, which is we've got into JVM, uh, and it's not for J, it's Truffle. So it's not even just Java, it's whatever Truffle language, um, building a sandbox essentially for mm -hmm. running the, these uh, applications. But it's different because you see, we, we're running the code bytecodes now, not the, not hotspot in some sense. Like, you know, there's a, there's a layer yeah. to this interaction. So we have some control. So what you could do right now is, you know, full circle, something like Kubernetes in Java, right? Because now you could have, you know, like a, like a microservice environment. Let's call it your Graal VM with some runtime logic. And I could just submit uh, bytecodes to your engine and they're isolated, basically. So I can run on one Graal VM, multiple, let's say, super years or wars, so truly isolated pieces of code, and uh, which they could even communicate with each other over, you know, yes. over yeah. protected secure way. And of yeah. course, even Node.js could communicate with uh, with Python and then with Java in different versions. This is like multilingual service. Uh, that's sort of, we don't have that service, but it's possible to run those multiple languages and have them all interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Like you can share data between, yeah, it's true. It reminds me actually, WebLogic, remember WebLogic had introduced some memory protection. Mm -hmm. um, I can't what it's called now. It was a feature that they had introduced. It lets you run your your enterprise application in an isolated memory. The JVM had this APIs for multi-tenant something. There was the the, the multi-tenant feature. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of uptake, honestly, because uh, most WebLogic servers are owned by a single customer, right? They're not too worried about the, you know the the security. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's actually it is it is possible, like you say, we could we could do this. We could contain the, the code. It's more for I think it's more useful for dealing with. <clears throat> The customers like, or the users like, say, uh, NetSuite who want to write user scripting. That's really a, a really obvious use case. Uh, a lot of platforms do offer, like use Lua and use different things for scripting, right? Um, we can do it in multiple languages. In fact, actually, you saw that uh, announcement of the uh, Graal VM in the Oracle database. Yeah, this is the same idea. Nice. Right. Yeah, it's still Truffle running, running uh, JavaScript basically on Graal VM. But. Um... Yeah. You could always run different languages on JVM. There was the spec, you know, the uh, scripting okay. spec, JSR, for, you know the name, the number? It was uh, like... No, but to invoke dynamic. If, uh, not invoke dynamic. Support, it right? was prior to this. It was introduced to JDK 1.6, the scriptic API for, for Java, where you can just it's say... It's familiar, but... Script engine, where, how NAS1 was, you know, uh, uh, injected to Java. Yeah. And the main problem was that the metadata was not compatible. So the you, you couldn't just call, you know, from one language to, to another, and this is what Graalvia right. solved, right? So this is where, where you can have, like, the metadata yeah. for all languages is the same. So you can basically call out from Java to whatever you like, which runs, right. yeah. 
And this is so you've seen, the, you've seen the debugging demos, uh, like in Visual Studio yeah. Code, where you step from one language into the next and you're still in the debugger. Yeah. And I remember like like a long time ago going from Smalltalk into C code, right? Yeah. So you're in the Smalltalk program, you're a debugger, debug, step, step, step. And suddenly the C debugger takes over your Windows machine, like your DOS machine, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Windows 95, I don't know. It would pop up and suddenly you're in the C debugger. And it was really weird. Then you'd, yeah. be, and then you'd go back. Yeah. And uh, with this, now we have C code. Java, Python, whatever, you can stay in the same flow. You can debug across, you can see the data structures. It's, it's much more productive. And uh, yeah. what's about uh, mission control? Is it somehow uh, integrated? Is it Java mission control? No. Um, there's Visual VM uh, in our team. Uh -huh. We manage Visual VM, but not mission control. Yeah. And uh, Visual yeah. VM, is this speci special support for something or just? It has some support for, 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 for GraalVM. Uh, it does have support. Um, so that's, and it's, it comes with GraalVM, so you get GraalVM, you can get the the, the visual, visual VM version that has the extended functionality. Yeah, this yeah, is exactly on one of the pro tip because uh, the uh, JVisual VM is decoupled from the JDK right now. So if you download OpenJDK, yeah. whatever, that comes without JVisual VM. What I do, yeah. I have GraalVM on my machine and I would like to, to launch you know, Visual VM for my performance yeah. tests. I switch Java home to uh, Visual VM, uh, to, uh, to Graal, and I click my, uh, click, I get my JVisual Okay, VM. That's, that's, that's a good story. I, I could tell that story. You know, I swear, when I want to debug my code, I use GraalVM. Yeah, I, I have even on my machine, J G eleven, and this uh, switch to Java Home to 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 Gravium, so I can yeah. open yeah. And another story is, um, JavaScript comes with lots of interesting um, libraries. For instance, you know templating. Um, what we did was Gravium, just straight Java application. And for specific cases like user scripting, we are were uh, were able to load you know mustache or handlebars, and this mustache on handlebars is looks like JSPs, but this is what well-known yeah. by the developers. And uh, we got back, you know, the um, the template and we could display invoice or whatever. And it, it works actually the, you know, the interface between Java and and uh, and, and GraalVM's JavaScript is really easy. It's like three lines of code and you have it. So, you, so you're basically using the mustache, you're using the JavaScript libraries to, to do the templating work for you that your main Java app was serving up. Yeah, exactly. This was a, yeah. um, a micro profile app and, uh, and, and it's actually even part of my course last year. And um, because this was very common, you know, how to, how to create invoices or whatever. And we did it several in projects. Okay, show in the course because it's fun. And you stick RALVM uh, um, JavaScript. And the cool story is I forget to switch it back. And what I didn't recognize that actually GraalVM executed all my NPM and all the builds. And it worked perfectly. But uh, in one point of time, I just said, I forgot, NPM version. And I saw some of GraalVM. like, why GraalVM? What, what's... And I said, oh, man, one year I even didn't notice that everything was executed on Java, all my JavaScript code, which is uh, cool. Ask, you know, the all your, all, your, all your Node code is running on, on Yeah, yeah, at GraalVM. <laughs> no, I don't use Node on, in, on the server. I just use, you know, some transpilers, roll-up and stuff like that, which transpile, you know, the, yeah. the proprietary JavaScript code to web components, whatever. And this run the entire infrastructure on Graal without any problems, which is amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's amazing. Actually, so so were you you're running um, were you running the uh, this JavaScript code on like um, using on, on GraalVM CE or were you were you using OpenJDK with the GraalJS library? Uh, I downloaded GraalVM as a project okay. and I created the yeah. native image because I wanted to test it and then I, I don't remember I installed the JavaScript runtime or it was already there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's good. I asked because the performance the performance of the of uh, these languages like with Truffle. Really, there's a couple between Truffle and the compiler. The compiler, they're, they're tightly linked together. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does work. The interpreter works without the compiler, but you'll get terrible performance relative to 
like okay. using the Grawl compiler. Okay. So the Grawl compiler is specifically, like they say, it's symbiotic, right? Mm -hmm. So the performance, like we don't even like people, people say, oh, can I run Grawl.js on OpenJDK? Well, yes, but we don't recommend it because you're not going to be happy with performance because it's just an interpreter that, you know, written in Java. So it doesn't really get you a lot. Uh, with the Grawl compiler, it sees that code, knows what it is and goes, oh, I'm going to compile that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And um, I used... Uh... Maven dependency was like Graal JS as well. So and exactly. Yeah. And with the Maven dependency, I got you know the, the entire support for that. And sure. um the um there's one issue where I missed EJPs, stateless EJPs, you can imagine it, right? The problem with the EJPs would solve this beautifully, but there is no solution in microprofile because microprofile doesn't have pooled scope. There is request scope, session scope, whatever. The issue is uh, with EJPs, what I could do is I could I could I could launch the uh, Graal VM context in post construct. Then say we have 10, 10 beans in the pool, and then we get reused. If you don't have EJPs, you will have to implement the pool by yourself, which is not trivial, because you cannot uh, two threads cannot meet inside the uh, Graal VM because you know this is not not multi-threaded. In in the uh, in, in which context in, in none the of context? context in the JavaScript context the JavaScript context is single threaded so you will there's have the, yeah there's a there's actually there's a there's a blog about this from our team on on dealing with async and sync uh, interactions you can do all kinds of clever tricks not that what I'm talking about imagine you have a Java code yeah. and a, a Helidon code and you would like to call you know the mustache from JavaScript for rendering so if the requests come in. You have, you have two choices. You can boot, you know, the JavaScript context in teardown, okay. or you could actually keep it alive because, you know, booting the JavaScript takes some time. This is not trivial. Yep. So um, there is no way to do it because if you don't have EGBs, you cannot pull easily, you know, the context. Can't let it sit around. There's nowhere to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, um, I already thought about, you know, to create my own pool or whatever because I didn't want it to use EGBs even if even if it worked, because it's like, okay, in this particular course, you know, I will just focus on microprofile just for fun. And this was not actually a hard problem to solve. Of course, you could, you know, have a kind of queue with a singleton, whatever, but, you know, with EJBs, it was just one liner. Without EJBs, it's all problematic. That's where a pool becomes interesting again. <laughs> See, EE wasn't all bad. Right? No, people no. now think, people look back and go, oh, it's terrible, you know, but uh, there, there, was, there was some good, good and bad. I find it strange that JPA was in the EE spec, you know, even I find that strange now because it was developed in that, but it has nothing to do, it always worked in SE, no problem, right? Yeah. Just plain old Java. Yeah. But for whatever reason, it be, it's part of that that world. I don't really earn. I'm not sure how they decided which belonged where. I think the Java spec wanted to stay small and lean, you know, and, and not contain a lot of clutter. Yeah. That's the main issue, I guess. So, what else? Anything to else with GraalVM? Interesting? <laughs> Uh, well, the whole thing's interesting. I, that's yeah, what I find sure. interesting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really interesting to to, uh, to see people. Well, the biggest thing is is uh, I think that people are confused mostly because it does it. It sounds like it's 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 a different thing than Java. And my, yeah. most of my time is trying to dispel the confusion. Like, no, look, there's two different distri distributions of GraalVM. There's enterprise and community. Community is is basically is an open JDK distro, and we plug in our compiler. Yeah. The, the the Oracle GraalVM Enterprise Edition is we take the Oracle JDK distro and we plug in the Graal compiler, and that's basically it, right? But but I spend I'm trying to dispel that problem now to, to just try and clarify what is this GraalVM thing because it sounds like a mysterious collection of, like you say, there's so many things it does. It's an umbrella, right? So GraalVM is a a project, not a not a 
a thing, as yep. it were, right? Because it does all kinds of stuff. One question regarding uh, community versus enterprise. So um, is the yep. community somehow restricted? I mean, um, am I allowed to use it everywhere? This is a common question for my clients. So now I know the, the, the question. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's just, it's, G, it's, it's GPL. It's the same uh, same license as uh, OpenJDK, right? So, so you take a look at the no license. No restrictions. License. I can do whatever I like with it. You can do what you can do what the license lets you do, right? So uh, if I if I were a lawyer, I would say, that. yeah. So whatever the license, the license is is the OpenJDK. You'll see it. The license is uh, is GPL plus ex the extensions. Right? Yeah, but the, the license is the same as OpenJDK. So whatever I can do with OpenJDK, can yeah, do. And we have same. to, right? We have to for for yeah, yeah. for. Uh, Very common yeah. question. So I wanted to hear, you know, from product manager. Yeah. So this is. Yeah, and and enterprise is uh, obviously it's 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 a Oracle license. Uh, the differences are, are are significant in terms of performance. So there's there's quite a few optimizations for JIT applications uh, in the enterprise edition. There's a lot of there's a lot more optimizations because that's the, that's the difference. So the core product is pretty good, and the enterprise is, is honestly is better, right? So, that, that. Can a client start, let's say, with community, and they decide for critical workloads they would like to migrate to enterprise? So um, can they just you know pay for the same bits or they, will they have to use different bits so you know they will have to download something different right they should download the different yeah because there's performance enhancements in the enterprise bits because they're using oracle Jay. yeah i mean it's the same you know we basically have additional uh, optimization phases and so Secret on sauce. in the cloud yeah yeah and, and how 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 much faster is it roughly is it like uh if you take a look it's it's significantly faster. If you take a look at renaissance.dev, uh, which is the website okay. where they're benchmarking, you'll see the numbers. Um, CE should outperform OpenJDK in all cases. And if it doesn't outperform OpenJDK, then we consider that a bug. That's basically our, our position. No, CE, e, you mean, right? CE, CE should outperform uh, oh, OpenJDK. Okay. What you're talking right now that the community edition, GraalVM, is faster than OpenJDK. Yes, and we have seen this from even um, large customers who've done benchmarks. They see improvements with CE, uh, so that's that's good. EE is significantly better, though significantly better. Better than CE. Look at EE is better than CE. A lot better. So if you take a look at the Renaissance uh, numbers, you'll see that uh, in some cases CE is slightly better than OpenJDK. Like it's mm -hmm. a minor. And part of the what's really interesting about this is that. Um, that uh, there are different optimizations in the C2 compiler than in the uh, Graal compiler, mm -hmm. and what I've what I've learned work on the project is you know all these all these optimizations interact with each other. It's not like we add one feature, mm -hmm. and it's it uh, it works alone. It's usually a, a, a you know what order the optimizations take place in is something that the engineering team looks at. Sometimes they'll change the order the optimizations are done in, and that will affect the behavior. Like do you inline first and then do something else, or do you do the inlining after you do that thing? Mm -hmm. These have big impact, and uh, so so yeah, Enterprise Edition has. A number of more, a number of other optimizations, and then the ordering may be different, and the code we produce is is, is quite is quite uh, more performant. They also the other thing that people don't talk about is um, is basically efficiency. So, I when I joined the project, I definitely thought about you know oh performance or GraalVM is about making applications go faster, mm -hmm. but also it turns out that it's uh, so it, part of going faster is also being more efficient. So we don't generate a lot of garbage. Okay. There's way more um, aggressive inlining of code, which can make the code a bit bigger, but uh, but the performance is good. And also, we do a lot of object elimination, so we mm -hmm. don't allocate objects um, that we can get away with not allocating. So there's this there's a feature called um, <clears throat> uh, partial escape analysis. So escape analysis is where you're looking at a method and you can see some object is allocated, mm -hmm. and if it's never used outside the method, you know that that object doesn't need to go on the heap, mm -hmm. right? It's local. So even though you say new, foo, it's just local stack. This is the um, reason why you should never pull objects, right? 
pool object. Yeah, well, this, yes, pool. Well, it, pool it makes sense sometimes. Okay, it does yeah. make sense. But uh, let's say that uh, you have a method uh, and it has an object foo, and you pass foo to another method, mm. right? It's escaped. Yeah. At this point, yeah. so now a, a dumb compiler would look at that and go, "Oh, it left the context. I can't tell whether it how long it lives. Mm -hmm. I have to put on the heap." Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, with us, we're much more aggressive about this. So we'll do more inlining and we'll do a partial escape analysis. We will look further okay. and see that even across a number of methods that really only lives this shorter lifespan, therefore stack. Okay. And better than that, if you only ever use the let's say it's a person that has first name last name, if you only ever use the first name, there is no object. It's just a first name. Right. So there's a lot of the compiler does terrible things behind the scenes that you as a as a Java user or as a as a programmer you're thinking that makes no sense. But really at the compiler level, it's fine. This would be right. perfect perfect marketing line, you know. This Graal VM EE compiler does terrible things, you know. It's terrible like, things behind the scenes. Yeah, this is like great great stuff for the T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you know the, you're talking with the engineers, you know, on our team, you know, uh, to them this is like normal stuff. We're yeah. going to unroll this and we're going to eliminate that. And we're going to change the order of the instructions. And you hear this all the time about Intel, even Intel machines, you know, the, the, these parallelizations and yeah. the clever loop. Uh, hardware and compilers do terrible things that make your code go faster and you don't care, right? In theory, you don't care uh, as long as it works, right? <laughs> it's fine. Any other features uh, for AE uh, besides performance? So, like uh, uh... a lot of features in Native Image, actually. Okay. So, Native Image has, um, has G1 garbage collector. So the G G1. So the one, the CE garbage collector is is not at the same level of performance as, as say G1. Mm -hmm. But that's a big that's a big deal. If you do have long running longer running uh, applications, G1 is better for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a feature in, in in enterprise native image called isolates, mm -hmm. which is basically uh, we allocate like the, the workload can run in its own isolated uh, heap space and class mm -hmm. space. So nothing that happens in that space can get out. So I, I, I keep thinking that for function, this is a really interesting feature, and I never got to implementing it. And I kind of suggested to to Graham, uh, this is an interesting idea, that if you receive a request, uh, and you've got a your function's hot, so it's mm -hmm. it's up and alive, mm -hmm. um, and it's servicing multiple requests. They're coming in, they're coming in, right? So if you put something in a static uh, in one request, the next request could read it. And this is what people do with database connections. They kind of cheat. They stick a database connection in the static. Mm -hmm. uh, it's iffy, right? It's a hack. It's a mm -hmm. hack, right? But uh, with isolates, you can ensure that the incoming request gets handled in an isolated space. And then when you're done, you don't even need a garbage collector. You just, just deallocate the entire space. Like it's just gone. It's basically, it's a nested VM in some logical sense. You have a nested VM to run that request, and then it's gone. And this seems like a really good use of uh, for functions, especially like reusing the same virtual machine to run jobs in a clean, clean way, right? Clean every time. Serverless. <laughs> yes, for serverless. No, no, so this is an, is no, this no, is an isolate. It, it is not serverless. It is VMless. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, and what what I'm saying is that actually inside the VM you can have something which lives within like a, a request, context. request context in the inside yeah. a request, and the uh, parallel requests are isolated. And um, after the request, everything is gone, and you call it isolate. Yes, so that there's an API there for basically creating an isolate and then running some code in an isolate. And uh, I was suggesting that. Um, at first, I was going to put, try, try and get this pushed into the, the FN FDK. So at some point, um, you, you provide some Java code, right? And then there's a wrap that the, the, the function developer kit the, the, from function FN basically runs your code, right? Like it basically, when it when a request comes in, it receives a request, it finds your function, invokes function, passes and arguments. That wrapper code could, in theory, run your whole, whole function in one of these isolates if it had the uh, if it implemented that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it couples you to the the Graalvm API, so it'd be a version of the FDK, perhaps. Um, and I know that um, 
uh, I spoke to Graham about this, so something Micronaut could do the same thing for you. They could just hide it from you. You could declare, I want this code to run or this request to run in an isolated environment, and then it makes it happen. So it's an interesting idea um, if you make it more declarative, basically. What, uh, what, what Graham told us already, that Micronaut is actually not only uh, Oracle committers to, uh, commits to Micronaut, but also Google and, and other companies is actually, Absolutely. Uh, this was for me a new, I thought, you know, this is like, you know, Graham and some, some friends are <laughs> committing once a week, you know, no. but this is actually an interesting <laughs> oh, project. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, the team at Oracle has expanded. So we've grown yeah. the team uh, with more and more committers and, um, and Google contributes. So everyone wants these things to work on their platform, right? It's just the old, uh, you know, if you're a database vendor, you want to make sure your JDBC driver works with that platform. Yeah. If you're Google, you want to make sure that when deployed to Cloud Run, it's going to interact correctly with the Cloud Run platform. Yeah, yeah. So this is good. I think this is really good. In fact, Micronaut does a really good job of abstracting out those platform interfaces from you. So moving from one platform to the other should be easier mm -hmm. uh, with Micronaut because they're, they're doing the work for you. Uh, back to Graal VM CE. What is the reason just to use OpenJDK? Why not always use Graal VM CE then? Even if I don't need uh, all yeah, the features, I, I, I could I, just I could just use Graal VM just to run my regular workloads. Yes, so so Graal VM CE, the the JIT, yeah. you know, hotspot, yeah, is OpenJDK. Yeah. It's, it's OpenJDK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get a we get we get a build. We get the fixes. Yeah. We plug in the compiler. Yeah. That's what it is. Exactly. Right. So why wouldn't you always use that? I know. Yeah. <laughs> I ask you the question as a as a user. Why wouldn't you opt for the better compiler? Yeah. Um. Yeah. And um. I have to, to 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 take a look at the renaissance.dev because what's I'm interesting right now is that you know the comparison between OpenJ9 and GraalVMCE. I don't think the numbers are on there. We have done some internal stuff. Okay. Um, so you know, officially, no do... one listens to the podcast. So is this some? Okay, it doesn't look that good. It doesn't look that good. Okay. Uh, OpenJ9. Sorry. In, in terms of the, the benchmarks we saw, we did actually run Renaissance. Okay. On it, but it's we ran it internally. We want to know. We had a customer who was running running on that, and they wanted yeah. to know, like, well, how do you compare? So we ran it ourselves, and it didn't. It wasn't public, but anyone's free to take the Renaissance benchmarks and run them themselves for sure. Exactly. It's open source. So is this right? uh, this um, Graal VM is 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 as a competitive to OpenJDK? Let's say this way, right? But, yeah, absolutely. Well, certain OpenJDK is competitive with with OpenJDK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're 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 going to improve that uh, gap on top of uh, OpenJD, OpenJDK. Um, yeah, I mean it's an interesting world. Um, there's lots of innovation going on all over the world in in compiler stuff, and our people are. It's a small community. You know this, like right. Everyone in the community, uh, certain communities know each other. So people will discover something in in. You know, Facebook has published a paper yesterday on some topic, and everyone went, oh, that's interesting. You know, like, okay. you know, and so everyone learns, and then the industry moves together, moves ahead. So uh, I think we're one of the few organizations where we have like a whole collection of compiler engineers working on this problem, right? So it's a uh, it's a unique place to be for sure. Yeah, perfect. It's really cool. And and the last question, or the last question, uh, the last full 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 circle, is the are you aware of Aurora VM? I've heard that name. Uh, what's Aurora? Yeah, I was fascinated by that probably 15 years ago or more. This was Java on Oracle database. You could write around, I think it was around 1998, something like this, before or 2000s, early 2000s. There was Aurora VM, and you could search for Oracle, and you could run so, stored procedures in Java. Oh, yeah, yeah. But this, okay, that's just Oracle JDK, uh, JVM embedded, right? Yeah, yeah. But back then, yeah, I heard, I heard yeah, slow, yeah. Though, right? yeah, yeah, it was slow. But uh, I'm, yeah. I was a Java fanboy, you know, and uh, and I was fascinated. Okay, now you can write, you know, stored procedures 
uh, Java.Procedures is Oracle database. So I, for me, it was huge. And this was we looked at it. Aurora yeah. VM. And now we have Graal VM. This is crazy. So uh, can you write actually .Procedures in, uh, in, in Java, which runs as Graal VM on Oracle? database today today no today the support is for javascript we started with javascript because that was the language that most were interested in um with espresso would be technically possible right yes so we're but espresso is not there performance wise so really it's not practical but the javascript performance is good okay um python makes sense right yeah. but we started yeah. with javascript start with, yeah. start with javascript yeah. um the, there's two we actually there's a couple of blogs I, I'll, I'll find you the links for the maybe the show notes it's a couple yeah, blogs perfect. on the feature is called MLE, multi-language environment. So the database has their own name for this mm -hmm. feature, mm -hmm. powered by GraalVM, basically. Mm -hmm. And they the blogs cover both writing sort procedures in JavaScript, uh, and then the other blog covers uh, Apex apps. So you can imagine the this is very useful. Um, you get someone out of school, do they know PLSQL? No, yeah. right? Yeah. So they want to build web apps on top of the database. Okay, here's here's this. Uh, Apex framework, your scripting is in JavaScript. You can easily get access to data. This is way more palatable uh, in the 20th century, 21st century uh, than, um, than the, the PLSQL solution for, for Apex. So this is the, the big use case for sure. What I had to do recently is, you know, to implement a hook into the uh, Golden Gate. So it's like the... Uh, yeah, I know uh, Golden Gate. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what happens behind the scenes, you can capture basically database tables, which uh, yeah. which did the events are stored in a kind of queue, and uh, yep. you can you can pick you know the data from the queue via JDBC, and um, and what you could do actually with GraalVM, you can listen to these events with JavaScript right now with GraalVM. So it technically would be possible. I don't know whether you are there, but what you could have you know you can say these are my data tables, and I'm interested <clears throat> in the events, and then if something changes, this JavaScript gets called, I get the data. And I can you know, push the data somewhere else. So this is. <laughs> I, uh, sadly, you're unaware of this thing that I worked on, uh, that I built. Uh, I prototyped it, and then we built it called Hotcache. Okay. Uh, which was coherence, and Golden Gate, and uh, Toplink. Oh. And so the idea was, uh, we use the old. I think it's evolved now. It's Golden Gate. We use the Golden Gate client library or client, which was which had an embedded JVM. Mm -hmm. In there, we ran we ran um, a Toplink application that ran backwards, it ran, it did ORM backwards. Mm -hmm. So normally you're in a Java application, you play with the objects, it creates tables, right? Yeah. Those tables. In this case, we took the mappings for data for, for top link and we flipped them, JPA mappings, and said, okay, when the table changes, which object is that? Which, you know, which column, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So we figured out, and then we would tell coherence, hey, the cached object you have in database is now either invalidated or we'd update it. So we talked, we ran a coherence client. So we were pumping changes from database right into coherence cache. Yeah. And we, it's still available now. You can get it today. It's, it's part of uh, coherence offering. This is why I always ask myself why Oracle, why the GDBC driver is unidirectional. I always why you cannot subscribe to changes in the database, and you and you implemented that, right? Well, no, we use well, we use Golden Gate to do it. Yeah, right? no, 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 yeah, but but you know, from the uh, whatever, however you call it, but it's the same effect. So I can actually watch. Same effect. Yeah, I get I get watch called. The database. Yeah, yeah, watch the database. And because the problem with coherence and all these middle tier caching layers is that they get stale. And you can't eliminate yeah. it, but you can reduce the, the staleness, yeah. right? The yeah. time they're stale. Yeah. So by pumping by, by proactively pumping data up into the middle tier yeah. on change means that the caches are more reliable. You're more less likely to have a um, um, an optimistic log failure. Yeah. We had lots of right. lots of conversations about that. So I, back then, I also used you know the cache coordination from Eclipse Link to minimize you know yep. the the, yep. the the effects of of optimistic uh, log exceptions. Yeah, interesting. Yep. But um, this um, 
has some legs because uh, I don't know whether you are aware about the project called Debezium. What Debezium is, is a huge. What Debezium is, it's an open source project where you can subscribe for Xtreme changes. So Xtreme is the uh, the Oracle... Uh, is, is, if you have Xtreme, you have Golden Gate, basically. So you get Xtreme okay. with the Golden Gate license, and I think behind the scenes is exactly the same. So you can subscribe to a capture process. And what Debezium does, it transforms the events into Kafka. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, well, it makes sense. Yeah, and because yeah. Xtreme is transactional, uh, you get actually nothing gets lost, and they 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 uh, right. they know the SCN, so which commit okay. it was, and they you know pick the data and put it to the to the topic, and then okay. you can it's the entire database, the histories in the in the topics. Is in there? <laughs> it's like a transactional log almost. Yeah. yeah, and with JavaScript, you could you know with with GraalVM could be between and then we could say okay we can transform the data whatever so parts of the kafka in the database right crazy uh, yeah well that's it, it yes it's always remixed right it's like yeah. <laughs> and this is no people say oracle is boring and after the conversation you know you see this is still you know uh, in some departments it's almost al almost sun spirit right we like to believe so uh, you know the, the team is Opening, operating pretty much in the open source and open, right? There's yeah. obviously some corporate uh, work, but mostly it's happening out there. You can, you know, we have an advisory board. I don't know if you know, but like GraalVM, we have an advisory board. So we've got Red Hat, um, uh, Alibaba has joined um, uh, Twitter, like all kinds of people are on this advisory board okay. discussing, you know, features. We're discussing things like um, which version of JDK should we support? These are good questions, right? Okay. Like uh, the Spring team are on there. So, because uh, we have support for 8 and 11 right now. And we were getting some, like, for us, obviously, there's overhead for supporting multiple versions of JDKs because yeah, sure. we're having to port, do yeah. backports and all kinds. And, um, and so this, so what we were finding is that most people who are downstream of us, like Spring, uh, Red Hat with Quarkus and so on, they're more focused on 11 and up. They're, there's exactly. fading interest for 11 or yeah. 8 uh, from their side. So that was a really interesting learning, which basically we learned from talking to this advisory board. So where do you put your energy? What are they going to use? There's uh, no Java in want... production by projects. Everyone uses 11 and up. So I can tell you. Yeah, but the reality, yes, no, that's okay. But we know, like the Oracle, we know we have tons of people on eight, right? Like the, the install base for eight is massive. Yeah, yeah, it is so. massive, but uh, there is no new project with eight. And uh, right, it's not the new project. And, yeah, and with the containers, it is not a big deal to upgrade, you know, to 11. It's not like this is less hard than it was before. Yeah, so this is the thing. So people who are building, especially native image, this is the main issue, right? That's a that's a new technology. There's there is no legacy. Yeah. Right. So so is there any real value in maintaining a legacy uh, legacy? You know, an older JDK for a platform that doesn't have any legacy code? I would say no, right? but so, it really depends. Yeah, generally, the consensus was no. This, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's good to have the community comment, right, and have some input on this. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And what I would really like to do is to reinvite you back, not in three years, maybe you know, in winter or early next year, <laughs> to talk about exclusively about GraalVM. I was just curious what happened, you know, with the serverless and clouds or whatever. And GraalVM is just, I would say, this is a genius project. I really like it. Um, yeah, it's pretty, I think it's pretty cool. And like I said, I've been with the project about uh, not 18 months yet, almost 18 months maybe. And and honestly, there's so much to know. Like there's just yeah. too much to know. Uh, it's it's impossible at this point to understand all the bits and pieces, um, and the things you can do. And the, and the problem is, you get a demo and they go, "We can do this cool thing." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like <laughs> on top of everything else we already do, what does that fit? Yeah. And does the, so. Thomas Wirtinger actually sleep or no? He he works uh, twenty four. He's a night owl. He's a night owl. 
So uh, I'll also be talking to him, and it's dark where he is. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, yeah, he's up late. Okay. I don't know if he gets up. I don't know if he gets up early. I don't okay. think so. <laughs> definitely up at night. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Where people can find you? you no know, Twitters or or whatever. Yeah, uh, on Twitter, uh, Sean M Smith. So middle middle initial. Yeah. Uh, M Sean M Smith, and there's a Grawlvm uh, handle. Um, so if you look in there, you might find something of mine retweeted. Uh, that's pretty much where I, I live. Is mostly Twitter. Uh, so some people use LinkedIn. I know. Uh, I never really do much on LinkedIn. No. Um, but uh, Instagram, nah, not really. So uh, of course you are on Snapchat and everywhere else, right? No. I'm not Snapchat. <laughs> no. What is it called? TikTok, right? The TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> TikTok. We joke. We joke about this, saying that we need a GraalVM TikTok channel. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're but we're on Twitch. That's the thing, right? So GraalVM, yeah. the team, we're on Twitch now. So it's actually Oracle Labs, I guess, is our we, that's the channel we have. Yeah. We're trying to do more, so we're doing regular uh, technical briefings, like just you know with people in, and also Graham. Uh, Graham, I think uh, we did one on yesterday. Just yesterday, we did our first Twitch session where Graham was talking about um, interceptors, how interceptors work in in Micronaut, and he's walking through it, giving examples, so digging in the code. It's really nice. good. Uh, so he's giving the kind of um, you know all about Micronaut. Type of type of sessions, and people on Twitch can ask questions like, "What is? How does that work?" So it's really, really. I think Twitch changes things a lot uh, for us. Yeah, you know, way more access. It's not like it's like a Zoom meeting, but it's open, right? Yeah, uh, I will yeah. also put it in the show notes. Um, yeah, GraalVM and your exactly perfect. That's mm -hmm. good. Yes, people people can tweet me. <laughs> My DMs are open, as they say, right? Oh, oh this is really. This, you, should, you shouldn't say that. You know, it will overflow oh. your Twitter client. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you a lot. That was great talking was to you fun. again, Adam. Bye. Yeah. See you.